Welcome to Sunny in Seattle with your host, Sunny Joy. And coming up on today's show, Sunny's guest is Dr. Cynthia Lee. Dr. Lee had it all, but it came crashing down when she developed a debilitating autoimmune disease. And the two of them will be discussing her newest book, Brave New Medicine, A Doctor's Unconventional Path to Healing Her Autoimmune Illness. So tune in and learn how to unlock your body's innate intelligence and wholeness. And now I welcome your host for the day, Sunny Joy. And good morning, everyone. Welcome to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy McMillan, and we are here every Friday from 9 to 10 a.m. on Alternative Talk 1150 a.m. KKNW in Seattle and 103.3 FM KPCA in Petaluma, bringing you amazing guests and resources that will help you create a life filled with joy, peace, freedom, and purpose. It is radio that positively shines. And if you can't catch the show live, you can always access the show archives. Those are found at 1150kknw.com, and you can also find the show on iTunes and Podcast One. Um, And just a quick disclaimer that the views expressed here are not necessarily the views of Petaluma Community Access, KPCA Radio, or its board of directors, volunteers, staff, or underwriters. Um, And if you want to find out more about me, uh, you can find me at goldenoversoul.com. So, Benny, how are things up in Seattle? Uh, Fogged in, but doing okay otherwise. Really? Yeah. Oh, super (laughs) foggy these last weeks. You know, it's the temperature change. You know, the old seasons are going around and around, and mercury and retrograde. You know, the usual. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Oh, goodness. Um, let's see here. I'm, and I'm just, this is the joy of live radio. I'm mm-hmm. looking and I'm just watching my gauges here in Petaluma and I'm seeing that it's not. It's not working. Yeah, Jig- we'll you got to jiggle it. Remember last time you got to jiggle yeah, the wire I know. There. Really? I know. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's see. Yeah. Well, we'll just, okay. I guess Jeff will come in. if. Okay. Uh, Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Well. <laughs> so for let me let me fill in real fast while Sunny does her thing. So Sunny's actually acting as me producer on her side as well as I run things in Seattle. So she's getting a taste of what producing is all about as well as hosting, which makes it a little more difficult for me because I don't host as much. But I could probably do all right. <laughs> And I'm so glad Benny's been on our talent for years because <laughs> then we need a little break and I can look at the gauges. Oh, well, okay. So we're just going to go with it because okay. it sounds like things are good in Seattle. And I trust that Jeff is here in Petaluma and he will be figuring out what's going on with our monitor here. Okay. okay so, right. anywho. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Other than that, I guess things are ship shape. <laughs> See, I told yeah, you, Mercury exactly, retrograde. Mercury exactly. retrograde. <laughs> hey, we're coming I'm out of go, that. I'm That's not go. supposed to be happening. I know, but there's always that shake up near the end. I know, right? Uh, well, in any event, we'll go ahead and bring on our amazing guest okay. today, um, Dr. Cynthia Lee. And I, I just have to say, um, I heard about her work through Dr. Alyssa Rankin, who is someone whose work I followed for uh, years now and was really excited um, to to hear about her new book. And I like this because she is not only a doctor, but she has also been on her own healing journey. And I think that just brings such a different perspective to health and wellness. And I uh, devoured her book in record time, which we're going to be talking about today. So this show is really for anyone out there who uh, you yourself are dealing with a, a healing crisis of some sort, or you have a loved one. Um, I, I do have a family member who was recently diagnosed with an autoimmune illness. And so I was very interested to um, read this tape because, you know, uh, there are different ways to go about treating an autoimmune illness. And um, I personally like the route that Dr. Lee went. We're going to talk about it. So just a little background information. Cynthia Lee, MD, is a board-certified physician of internal medicine. She has practiced in settings as diverse as Kaiser Permanente Medical Center, San Francisco General Hospital, St. Anthony Medical Clinic for the Homeless, and Doctors Without Borders in rural China. Faced with her own health challenges, she began an odyssey that led her to integrative and functional medicine. She currently has a private practice in Berkeley, California, and is a contributor to Thrive Global and Psychology Today. And she serves on the faculty of the Healer's Art Program at the University of California, San Francisco School of Medicine. Brave New Medicine, A Doctor's Unconventional Path to Healing Her Autoimmune Illness, is her first book, and we'll be talking about that today. Um, If you want to find out more about her, you can visit her website at Cynthia Lee, M.D., that's Cynthia Lee, MD.com, and Lee is spelled L-I. Uh, Dr. Lee, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. 
Absolutely. Uh, so I I broke down my outline a little bit differently this time around because I thought there's so many elements to your story. And um, why don't we just frame up, you know, what, tell us a little bit about your background when you were a child. And of course, then you ended up in medical school. Um, what kind of, uh, what, did, what all came to the table to uh, bring you to the point when you had your healing crisis? Well, uh, I'm still thinking of Mercury in retrograde. <laughs> <laughs> no, you showed up. You made it through. So we're good. <laughs> We've broken that Which barrier. made me laugh. I don't know a lot about, I know a lot about uh, quite a few different fields, but, uh, you know, astrology is not one, uh, but I, I love hearing about it. Um, so, no, my, my childhood, um, I would say, was, you know, was relatively conventional um, for an immigrant family. My parents were both immigrants um, from Taiwan and China, and I was first generation raised in, um, in the States. I was um, the second of four kids and, you know, sort of had this, this mentality in, in Chinese families and in the Chinese culture as a whole, you're, uh, you're really addressed by your birth order. I mean, that's, I was known as number two, you know, in Mandarin. And so I had this, um, both the safety of being number two and also the, the, the sense of sort of being overshadowed as number two, um, both growing up and, I didn't know it at the time. This was just, you know, the only childhood that I knew. But um, I was raised in an evangelical community, and uh, it was um, simultaneously loving. It was a very, you know, thriving and family-like environment, um, as well as the the doctrine of heaven and hell was was uh, very terrifying for me, and that the vast majority of people were going to go to hell. And um, so I would say that, you know, as far as factors that shaped me to go into medicine, that was probably one of the, um, one of the existential threads that really led me there was how do, I, how do I do my part to alleviate suffering in the world, to, to alleviate hell here on earth. And, um, uh, you know, but, but what, what brought me there, you know, just sort of as a student was I was never an academic student. You know, I never, I didn't enjoy studying. I wasn't super ambitious. Um, <clears throat> but I was very drawn to chemistry when I was in um, undergraduate in college. And, uh, you know, fascinated by the way molecules um, came together and, uh, and, then, and then detached, right? They dissociated, they associated, and that living things and, and inanimate things we're all sort of doing this dance of life, and that was really what brought me in. So it was both this, you know, existential fear, and also this real uh, embracing of the beauty of the dance of of the universe, um, yeah. but in represented in the human body. Um, so then um, I went to medical school in Dallas, Texas, and um, you know, and the. The questions of the human condition uh, that that brought me there really, I just remember immediately they they had to be put pushed to the side um, because of the academic rigor and the demands, and it was really about um, sort of surviving this medical boot camp, right? Like how much information can you absorb and process and retain? How much uh, physical uh, wear and tear can you endure? And what really the the ethos there was what does not uh, you know what doesn't kill you makes you stronger, which uh, which works for acute stress but not great for chronic stress. Right. Um, but that was you know I I, um, I went through medical training, went through residency, and um, and graduated with distinction. And I remember this moment after residency, and uh, which was when I moved to San Francisco to really start things fresh, and this is, you know, I felt like the beginning of the rest of my life in the big world was uh, was this sense of mastery. Like, okay, you know what, I know how to save lives, I know these protocols, I know the research, uh, the cutting-edge re- cutting research, um, like the back of my hand. And so, um, yeah, so it was a, it was a really uh, full time for me when I moved to San Francisco. 
Yeah. And one of the things I just want to touch on, um, I made some notes, you know, as I was reading, and of course, some answers became evident as I got further into the book. But one of the notes that I did make was, you know, you identified as a very sensitive child. I don't know if it would you would consider yourself under Dr. Elaine Aaron's definition of a highly sensitive person. Yeah, um, but uh-huh. yeah, yeah. Can you speak to that just a little bit more um, around, you know, your the emotional state that you were perhaps in and how that might have we're talking about and you know and as we get further into your story an accumulation of factors that that hit a tipping point at a certain mm-hmm. age or a certain point in your life and so from your childhood and I, I only bring this up because I think it's you know for people out there listening to be able to spot these things early so that you don't hit that tipping point of healing crisis as an adult but for you as a child being highly sensitive <clears throat> how did that contribute right. to everything yeah that is a great uh, question I sort of glossed over that <laughs> Um, it was, you know, and psychology has a, has a phrase for it, um, the orchid child. And Mm -hmm. that's, um, in contrast to the dandelion child, right? Who, who thrives sort of in whatever milieu they're, they're, uh, they're in. The orchid child is this, uh, highly sensitive child. And my lived experience of that, you know, again, I just assumed everybody, right, was, was like this. I mean, that this was just what it was like to be a child, um, but was uh, just a sense of overwhelm. Uh, you know, like I remember feeling like, um, yeah, I could I could smell things or hear things uh, or even like hear people's thoughts, you know, in a way when nobody else was quite, quite affected the way that I was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I remember hearing a lot like, oh, you know, don't be so sensitive. I mean, some of it was, you know, was sort of dismissive, but some of it was really like... Uh, you know, people trying to be supportive, like, oh, you don't have to be so sensitive about that. I didn't actually know how not to be so sensitive. And so what happened with me, and I think a lot of people is, you know, I, I just suppressed it. Yeah. Like, how do I suppress the reactions that my body and my mind are having so that I can just live life with a little bit more ease? Um, what I, you know, on the on the positive side was that I remember having just a very rich you know, imaginary life, right? And, um, and of course, now, in hindsight, I know that it was like a very rich, intuitive life. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I was highly attuned to, um, you know, butterflies and insects and animals. And really being in nature was where I found uh, a lot of peace and calm and, and, and joy. Um, I really thrived there. Um, I didn't, you know, I grew up in a suburban neighborhood in Texas and, you know, and it's so hot there most yeah. of the year that, you know, you're usually indoors in climate controlled buildings. Right. So I would say that, you know, I didn't get a lot of nature um, just by, you know, the, the location where I grew up. Yeah. But absolutely. So this was, this was also a piece that when I was considering medical school in college, I was very aware of. I mean, in college, by the time I had, you know, I was in my teens and early 20s, I was, I, yeah, I was a lot more self-possessed. And, you know, I had more confidence. Um, I knew what I was good at and where I had challenges. And, uh, but when the thought of medical school first crossed my mind, um, my first question was, can I, can I do it, right? Can I, or am I going to be uh, having, you know, sensitive reactions to everything? Um, so right. I did. I, I kind of tested it out by um, setting up an appointment at the morgue. And uh, I one Saturday morning went there and participated or observed, actually, in an autopsy. And I, I had never seen uh, anyone uh, dead before. You know, not mm-hmm. no one at a, like, no funerals with open caskets. I mean, death felt very abstract to me, aside from, you know, um, like animals that I would see in the road or insects that died. So it was a, it was a really big shock for me um, to, I didn't actually know what an autopsy entailed. Um, but, you know, I, I um, could suppress my visceral reactions, and I had the mental fortitude, and I thought, I can do this, you know, I, I can do it. Yeah. So a lot of my way of coping was really suppressing. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it did on, you mentioned just something a moment ago that I, one of the notes that I made was just, I, I interviewed Dean Radin last week and you both, it's so interesting, two guests in a row that are highly, highly left brained in some areas and very, very talented with the right brain as well. You bring forward beautiful combination of both, which is in my experience, at least not terribly common <laughs> to have it full blown. Yeah, on both, yeah, it's not, both it's not terribly common. I think because we regret, we gravitate towards one side or the other, right? I mean, if you're an artist or, you know, someone who's using the creative mind and images, very much overdeveloped on the right side. And then, you know, um, doctors and, you know, other highly analytical fields are on the left. And what I had learned, I mean, this is, you know, years later in my healing journey, when I began to develop my intuition, which we can go into later, I, I learned from my teachers that, Actually, the, the, the way the body is, right, is the body is very balanced. So the more, you know, developed your left brain is, if we're going to localize it in the body, the more developed the um, reasoning and uh, analytical mind is, actually the greater, uh, the same capacity is there in the right brain. It's just it's dormant. It's suppressed. So that when we open up to the other side that's less balanced, there can be, you know, a tremendous opening that feels, um, it's not linear. It can be very almost explosive in some ways. Which is exactly what it felt like happened for you. At least I made so many, I started a little whole list of synchronicities, intuition, and like the mystical. And it just kept building and building and building as your story went on. So we definitely will get to that. Yes, okay. So... yeah, so so you did go through medical school, and I also I don't want to glaze over this, but I do want to just also I think part of your journey was you know during medical school losing your fiance in a car accident, um, yeah. which was something that perhaps you didn't fully integrate at the time, but definitely came up to be addressed at a later date during your healing journey. Yes, and you know I guess that's the that's the deepest lesson, um, uh, you know, in terms of. Yeah, I mean, when we don't uh, fully heal um, what's going on, you know, in life at the moment, which oftentimes happens, I mean, you know, life is happening so fast or we're just trying to survive, uh, it comes back later. (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't just disappear. And so, um, yeah, I was, I had dated a a wonderful man, uh, Kurt, uh, all through medical school, and we did get engaged and... um, uh, my second year of residency, uh, he died in a car accident. And so that was a, you know, I was, I was 28, he was 29 years old and it was a huge, um, huge experience for me, uh, and his family. And, you know, but I was in the middle of my residency and being 28 and really being at a loss for how do you, Right? How do people get through this? I mean, mm-hmm. um, you know, most of what I was receiving in terms of advice uh, and support was, you know, just the more normal you can live your life, the better. Um, so I, I took about a week off. I mean, it was actually just just after his funeral that I went back to ninety hour work weeks. Mm-hmm. And what? Um, no, first of all, I did feel a lot of comfort. Right? That I, I knew I felt like I had control and a sense of empowerment at work that I just did not have in life. Um, And then there was something about, I mean, the irony, right, of of saving lives and actually resuscitating patients, almost postponing death, like having some sense of control over life and death that, um, you know, at that young age gave me uh, some comfort. And, um, And But I remember being very much plagued by, the questions that I had been raised with, you know, in my evangelical upbringing, about heaven and hell and souls, and I mean, I I was uh, terrified, you know, that Kurt was really suffering, that his soul was suffering, and you know, do souls even exist? So there were a lot of um, philosophical and and fundamental questions that I had. Um, the other piece was that you know I was um, I was really confronting life and death every day in my work. So it wasn't like it was a creative outlet for me to to grieve right through 
the daily uh, rituals or activities I was doing. I mean, I was just staring this stuff uh, in the in the face and not knowing how to um, how to reconcile the the inner turmoil that I had and the grief, the grief. Yeah, yeah, and definitely was a piece that comes into play later in the story as a part of the healing. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, you know, so you have gone through all these things, but you're you're living in San Francisco or the Bay Area. You are practicing medicine um, and you, you know, from the outside, you've got it all. You've got, a, you at that point had married, uh, fallen in love with and married someone else. Um, you all had children on the horizon. You were very good at what you did. Um, in a successful career, and then some symptoms started presenting. This the, the very the beginnings of this this autoimmune uh, disease that developed. And why don't you lead us up to that point where you hit the the crisis point of the the healing journey, or the crisis so point of my, I guess the illness? Yeah, my <laughs> husband, um, my husband David and I were <clears throat> very new parents. Um, we had a four month old, and uh, it was around then that yeah I started having symptoms of. You know, my my heart was my heart rhythm was a little bit off intermittently. Um, I was just feeling very tired, um, losing a lot of weight, uh, losing hair, and uh, just internally, I felt completely all over the place. My moods were, you know, all over the place. And um, you know, whereas I I had a lot of uh, I had a you know very reserved um, sort of composure to me, to me on my whole life. And I, I couldn't. I was just losing it. You know, I was I was angry a lot. It was very very volatile, um, and crying spells. And people kept telling me that it was normal postpartum stuff. And so, um, you know, I that that's what I wrote it out wrote it off to be. And then, um, yeah, I mean, over the next couple of months, I was diagnosed with an autoimmune thyroid condition, and. Um, you know, did what what any doctor patient would do. I sought out the top notch specialist in the in the thyroid field, and um, was under his care. And you know, took my medicines. Um, I was a really good patient. And after about a year, uh, since the time of the diagnosis to a year, my uh, my thyroid numbers looked great. Uh, I still didn't feel much better. But things had sort of stabilized at a generalized unwellness. But when you um, say your numbers were great, we're talking about just what you would get at a standard doctor's office, like the little scale between one number and the other number without exactly, much. Exactly, the reference range, right. right. So my thyroid numbers were in, you know, right in perfect range and, uh, you know, and as well as other screening labs, right. So, um, you know, strangely enough, by, by my my own definition, but also by, you know, the framework that I've trained in, everything was fine. Yeah. Because my numbers were fine. And the other thing that I defined health by was functionality. So even though I was um, not feeling well, I was living a completely full life. And um, so that was another way in which I gauged health. Yeah. Yeah. And so you're moving along at that pace, but things don't, things st still started to deteriorate at a certain point. Right. So then um, my husband, our then toddler, and I took a trip to Beijing and uh, we were visiting my parents who had moved back from, they moved back to Beijing from Texas. And um, yeah, I had a an episode there where I lost consciousness and came to an emergency room, basically to a body that felt completely foreign to me. So that was a, mm -hmm. a very abrupt onset of, you know, what would turn into or what would eventually be diagnosed as chronic fatigue syndrome and dysautonomia, where the um, autonomic branch of the nervous system, it controls largely subconscious and vital functions like blood pressure and heart rate and digestion uh, was was really uncoordinated. Some people have heard that the, the diagnosis now, which has actually become epidemic, called POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. It falls under dysautonomia. So this yeah. was um, the beginning of that. It was also the beginning, the very dramatic beginning of my second pregnancy. Hmm. 
so which was a factor in you know everything that had had, had something internally had you know had really uh, switched like it was almost like a yeah switch had been turned on or off and everything was suddenly in disarray so my hormone system was off my neurological system was off my inflammatory my immune system was completely on overdrive so everything was inflamed and um and that was the beginning of this second pregnancy as well yeah and at this point you know as your symptoms increase and your life begins to unravel um i'll just read a quote here um and because you know at this point you're under the care of a very you know well-respected specialist who's looking just at your thyroid um and you are writing as you're becoming what is called a difficult patient or what you call a difficult patient mm-hmm. in your book you write that um you know i know there's i know it's something more i would plead i had only one thing to go by, my subjective experience that my inner workings were all scrambled up. It didn't require a medical degree to know the difference between a shift in normal physiology, which is what pregnancy was, and a clear pathology. But the objective numbers, the numbers I once swore by, were betraying me. and actually, I'm looking at our time. So before I dive back in with you, Dr. Lee, why don't we take our break? And when we come back, you can tell us about when, you know, things got really bad. And then you went on your own odyssey um, from your couch about how to heal when uh, the, the the system that you had trained in really failed you to a certain degree or it, or it had some limitations you became aware of. So um, I am here today talking to Dr. Cynthia Lee. We are talking about her new book, her first book, Brave New Medicine, A Doctor's Unconventional Path to Healing Her Autoimmune Illness. Um, you are listening to Sunny in Seattle. We will be back in just a few. The preceding audio was via a Skype call. I'm Dr. Anthony Lizewitz, and this is Climate Connections. Saving for retirement pays off. If you deposit money into an IRA, its earnings can grow over time, and so can your nest egg. James Finch is the Director of Finance for Brantford, Connecticut. He says as cities and towns focus on the costs of rising seas and more extreme weather, they can take a similar approach. What if we started saving money We'll start with a million dollars. And what if we started adding to that every year? And then what if we were able to invest it at a rate that could compound so that it grows faster? His town is doing just that through its new Coastal Resiliency Fund. Finch says Brantford put a million dollars in to start, with more to be added each year. Over time, the invested funds are expected to grow. Then, when it comes time to repair a flooded bridge, elevate houses, or improve stormwater drainage, the town can tap into those funds. This provides a vehicle for a community to put money aside and so it can grow for the long term, just like any family would for funding their kids' college or funding their retirement accounts. Finch says that for towns and cities that can afford to, it makes sense to start saving now for the future costs of climate change. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. Learn more at YaleClimateConnections.org. Sunny in Seattle, radio that positively shines. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. And welcome back to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy, joined today by Dr. Cynthia Lee. Um, She is a doctor who uh, went on her own healing journey. It's all described in her book, Brave New Medicine, 
a doctor's unconventional path to healing her autoimmune illness. So before the break, um, we kind of left off where, you know, you had been developing some symptoms um, and uh, you had received some treatment, but you really, things started to unravel um, with the birth of your second child and returning from that trip to Beijing where you landed in the emergency room. And um, so why don't you take us from there, Dr. Lee, you know, how things really got bad and then, and then what you did from your couch to start your yeah. own healing odyssey. Yeah. I mean, it, well, it took me about two years of being housebound. I mean, really, you know, really, really uh, debilitated to break out of the paradigm I had trained in. Um, so that, that says a lot about how uh, much weight, right, I gave to it and didn't realize that there was another way or there were other ways. Um, yeah. Part of it, I think, is it was not just stubbornness. Part of it was the fact that I was pregnant. And for, um, you know, for nine months, um, a lot of specialists that I saw, and, and myself included, we couldn't, it was hard to tease out. Like that, that, that paragraph that you read was very telling, was, you know, everyone kept saying, well, this is a difficult pregnancy, it's a difficult pregnancy. Um, and even though I knew what, you know, I've been pregnant before, I know this is, and even if I hadn't, it was blatantly obvious to me, like this is not, you know, this is not normal. Right. Um, <clears throat> that there was part of me that was holding out, you know, hope that, okay, once I do have my baby, which was incredible that I even, you know, I carried her to term, uh, had a healthy, you know, delivery. Um, I had sought out a midwife who really empowered me. I mean, had not only had her, but had her naturally. And that was a big turning point for me because I realized that I had a lot of energy in my body. I just couldn't access it. Yeah. So that, that was a big piece. The, um, but there was part of me that was holding out hope that once I had her, that the pregnancy was over, that my hormones would, you know, kind of re-regulate themselves, and that, you know, the vast majority of um, my other systems that were out of balance would, would right themselves. And that was not the case. So it was shortly thereafter that I diagnosed myself in the bathroom with, oh, my God, I've got chronic fatigue syndrome, I've got dysautonomia, um, and knowing that there are no good treatments in the, you know, in the conventional medicine model, uh, I just, I exited that, I exited that paradigm. Yeah. And so what, uh, there were just the journey, it was just breadcrumb after breadcrumb that it seemed followed. People would arrive on your path or you'd find a resource. And, um, so walk us through really what, what comprised your healing journey? What did you do to achieve what now is really, I just, um, a, a quite from, if you're looking at it from the Western medical paradigm, a miraculous recovery from right. things that other Absolutely. people are dealing with for a lifetime. Right. I mean, these conditions are not the, you know, the odds are really, uh, stacked against people with these conditions. And, um, so one of the things I did actually was, uh, I, I did not even use those diagnoses. Uh, I, I knew that they would affect me negatively mm -hmm. uh, in terms of, you know, the prognoses. So I would mostly say that there was, you know, I had thyroid stuff going on. Um, but the first place I looked really was going back to basics of pathology 101. And I cracked open my medical textbooks and relearned how chronic diseases develop and that this had been going on for a long time, and that it was probably a stepwise progression, right? Um, and as you had mentioned earlier on, this cumulative load that just reached its threshold. And yeah. so it was, um, that was helpful for me because I felt like I could stepwise, one by one, reverse this, uh, you know, sort of decrease the load if I could um, begin to understand what that load was and how to uh, how to you know diminish the effect on my body, um, so that what would happen is that healing would happen sort of naturally as a side effect, right? If you give the if you remove what's sort of uh, hindering healing from happening, or if you support uh, give the body what it needs to really optimally heal, then the body will sort itself out. And that's what's really uh, beautiful is that we don't have to understand everything. Uh, we just have to understand 
what makes us well and what makes us sick. So, I mean, yeah. you know, one of the, go ahead. Oh, please go ahead. No, please go ahead. Oh, so, I mean, you know, the, the logical starting point for me was, um, you know, so I called this, this assignment how to, how to get off the couch, right? I just, I wanted <laughs> to have more energy um, and, uh, yeah, and just reclaim my life. I mean, I wanted to live my life. I did not want to be on the couch. Um, and the first place I decided to look or, or to, to start was to get my sleep back into balance. And it wasn't just my sleep. It was my entire circadian rhythm, right? So um, every organ in the body has its own sort of internal clock, and it's, it's related to, um, you know, rhythms in, uh, with, you know, light, with, with daylight and nighttime. It's um, related, and that's why I was laughing about even the Mercury in retrograde. <laughs> yeah. I, I know in some cosmic way it's related even, right, to forces that are well beyond our immediate environment and our immediate right. sense of, you know, what's going on in, in, on the planet and in the life, uh, in the universe. But um, so recognizing that there are internal rhythms and how do I regulate those? So it was, it was kind of like, um, yeah, just providing my body with much more structure, like the way that I gave my children structure in their days. And so in that sense, because I had two young kids, it was a little bit easier. I just put myself on a similar schedule as, as, as they had. And even if I wasn't sleeping, per se, um, when they were sleeping at night, um, I was getting rest. And so, and then there were, you know, that was also the beginning of a few supplements like magnesium and melatonin. Um, so I knew that if I couldn't get my sleep better, that I wasn't going to have a lot of energy to do anything else. Um, yeah. One of the second things I did was, um, was I knew I had to get my vertigo. Oh, so, you know, chronic vertigo and this sense of passing out was one of the, the, uh, the symptoms that, really kept me, you know, housebound as well. And so that's when I um, went out and uh, found an acupuncturist who was an incredible gift to me. I mean, just an incredible gift. So, um, you know, I did not, quote, believe in acupuncture or herbs. I didn't know anything about them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had, I had no other option. And in my doctor's mind, the way I approached it was, what can I try that's low potential risk and high potential gain? So I was right. really looking at everything I did still, you know, through my analytical mind, through the analysis of low risk, high gain. And, um, and then acupuncture was, uh, was a big piece of it. And I didn't realize how much, like basically what acupuncture is doing is, is balancing the energy in the body and, right. um, and opening it up to energy that's, you know, that's in the, uh, in the environment, and how do how do we nourish our bodies? So um, uh, I hadn't realized what it was doing in terms of my dysautonomia, right? In terms of my autonomic nervous system. And, and when so, you say that you're talking about when you're talking about autonomic nervous system, you were basically in fight or flight all the time. Other uh, aside, I was or, sorry, in, uh, yes, I was yeah. in fight or flight. Um, you know, the vast majority of the time, even when I felt you know, mentally relaxed. Um, but it was more than that. The, the communication between, the, the coordination and the communication between the different organs, it's almost like, yeah, the signaling wasn't working right. So it right. wasn't just that I was in fight or flight. I mean, a lot of chronic conditions, you know, actually the, the vast majority of them are chronic inflammation at the root, and that's a fight or flight state. So um, this was, you know, this is much more than that. It was a communication, okay. a signaling problem. Yeah. Yeah, so acupuncture was huge, and it got me to the place where I uh, wasn't in perpetual vertigo, where I could do a lot more research on my own and read. And that was, so that was a, another big milestone for me. Uh, I mean, you yeah. know, and I also got more energy. I was able to do short walks, you know, maybe two or three blocks which doesn't sound like a lot, but it was a really big uh, shift for me at that time. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and then, you know, you started really the, the one thing, <clears throat> what you were doing, going to root causes rather than treating symptoms, you know, but it doesn't even sound like your symptoms were being controlled <laughs> at the time anyway, mm-hmm. but really going to these root causes, what you ended up finding was there was an existing paradigm out there for it within functional and integrative medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So did, what, keep, keep walking us through the journey there and how that all came into play. Yeah. So, you know, I didn't know uh, a lot about integrative and functional medicine. Actually, I didn't know anything at all. So had I known, um, I may have gone that route earlier. Um, but, you know, the way that things unfolded was I was just you know, I was a doctor, I had an acupuncturist now, and he was also, he was teaching me basically the paradigm of functional medicine, which is, which is not new. It's, it's wrapped in uh, ancient healing uh, practices like traditional Chinese medicine. Right. Um, really looking at the body in terms of systems. So if I have a thyroid, you know, disorder, it's actually not just my thyroid. I mean, the thyroid is part of this whole hormone system, which is out of balance. And then that's connected to my neurological system. It's connected to my digestive system and immune system. And, and then, you know, we're connected to the ecosystems outside of us, and we have these micro-ecosystems in, you know, inside our bodies. So that, that was the beginning of a paradigm shift for me um, in working with this acupuncturist. And we were, you know, we were, I was clearly his patient, but we were also colleagues trying to um, translate for each other, you know, the language of traditional Chinese medicine and and Western science. So, Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, but functional medicine is that, but using cutting-edge science. So kind of, you know, wrapping, the the contents are a little bit different and the approach is a little bit different, but the the thought processes um, are the same. And so absolutely, like you said, looking at the root causes of chronic conditions. So um, I didn't know what I was doing uh, in terms of living my life, but basically functional medicine, you know, says that there are five classes of um, causes of chronic conditions, and it's infections, allergens, um, chemical pollutants, uh, poor diet, you know, inflammatory diet, and then stress, which can be mental, emotional, or physical trauma. Um, yep. And diet and stress are unfortunately the two biggies, but they're also the ones that are incredibly difficult to um, to change in our day-to-day lives. So, right. um, yeah, so like the, the way that I work with patients now is kind of how also I experienced it as a patient is, okay, if we can, you know, are there infections that are, you know, really causing me to feel like and really keeping me down. If we can lower that, you know, and just treat it, right? Treating is so much easier than healing. Treating, uh, if I can treat that and just get a little bit more energy back, if I can treat some, you know, nutrient deficiencies with supplements and, you know, in some diet and just get a little bit of oomph back, then maybe I can then think about changing my diet in a big way. You know, right. so oftentimes we're so just like our lives are overwhelming, you know, our, our energy is so down that we can't imagine making any kind of change in our lives. So a lot of it, too, is um, what I learned and, um, you know, whether it was um, physical stuff or um, emotional, you know, um, baggage or uh, even attachment, mental attachments, like, oh, this is how I really, you know, I really want our house to be clean and in order, you know, and organized. And, like, it's just letting go. Right. So a lot of it, if you don't have energy, like I had no energy, it's much easier to let things go and literally <laughs> detox, right? Detox your body, detox your house, detox whatever attachments you have to how life ought to be. Letting that go is much easier than doing more. Right. 
Yeah, and I, I will just say for those listening, of course, we're talking about uh, Dr. Lee's book, Brave New Medicine, um, about her healing journey, uh, diagnosis with autoimmune disease, and then really experiencing uh, full healing. Um, we are not even touching the surface of so much that she went through, but I will say the back, the the, the final portion of the book are the steps that she took to heal. And these are recommendations that, that someone else could use as a starting point, perhaps. And I want to make sure we touch on two more areas because I'm watching our time. You know, one of the final components for you, you'd, you'd done a detox of your own body. You'd done a detox of your environment. You had really gotten the nutrition basics by going back to ancient food practices. But that final step was that soul detox. And so can you tell us, I'm just curious, you know, because other people may think, oh, I don't, I don't, I didn't lose a fiance in graduate school. I didn't have any huge traumas. Tell us about your grief work and why you think that's important for everyone. Yeah. It's, and I will say, um, I wish detox was a, sort of like a one-time deal, <laughs> but it is a, you know, I mean, we continue to live our lives, and so it is a, it is a cyclical need, right? It is, it's why ancient um, traditions had fasting, you know, during certain seasons of the year, or they did certain, yeah, grief rituals during, during certain parts of the year. Like it's it's like getting an oil change. You know, it just stuff builds up, and you need to you need to clear it out. Yeah. So, um, you know, what I wrote about in the book was, you know, the first time I did a, a whatever a body detox, right, with um, juices and whatnot, and the diet. You know, the anti-inflammatory diet is a huge detox. Um, but and also with the soul detox that you're talking about, um, it is something that I've had to revisit. You know. <laughs> Since yeah. uh, since the narrative of that book end, ended, but um, no, what I, I realized was that basically what the body is, and this is again, I came to it through science, right? It was not through any other uh, door of suddenly opening to alternative practices. It was understanding the body and the way um, the neurons in our brain and nervous system are connected and they're wired is through, I mean, a lot of, through everything we do, through our movements, through what we eat, drink, breathe, but also through our thoughts. And then we can change it, right, by by changing what it is that we do and eat and think and believe. The, um, the other piece is through the body, is through epigenetics, literally in, in all of our cells, in the DNA, the way it's folded and unfolded um, is dictated by... So by every by our cumulative life experience, and some yeah. of it even seems like uh, through um, through observational studies uh, of populations, human populations, as well as animal studies, is that some of this, the way our genes are folded and unfolded, is passed on through our ancestors. Right. So that some of the stuff in my, you know, I felt in my body, like maybe some of this load I'm carrying isn't even mine. You know, it didn't even start with me. It started with my, you know, parents or with their parents. And um, so I was beginning to recognize the body and our cells and our DNA as the repository for subconscious, uh, you know. So, I mean, you were talking about, you know, me as a sensitive child, uh, and I learned to suppress, I suppress, suppress, suppress. Well, you know, it's out of my conscious mind, but it went into my body, right? So my body's storing these, experiences. And so unless we can find ways to not mentally process grief, but to to have an embodied release of the grief, it's going to continue to be stored there. Uh, it's not something we can think our ways out of, and right. which was, you know, much to my chagrin, right? I mean, I would love <laughs> to be able to think, it, think my way out of it. Um, so, you know, one of the ways, um, there, so I learned two ways, right? Was And some of this also was grief that I had with my patients. I mean, I think doctors and anyone doing any kind of healing work has tremendous grief that we take on from, uh, from our clients and from our patients. But we've never been taught any way to, to, um, to release it or to transform it. What we're taught is, okay, if it's too much, you detach. And so I learned how to detach from my own body and how to detach from my own humanity. 
And so um, how do we reconnect? Like the only way to heal something is to actually connect. We can't heal something we're not connected to. So that was a deep lesson for me was, oh, my God, I have to go into my body, you know, into the place that is so uncomfortable for me to be in. Yeah. And, um, and it's not just going into the, into the symptoms because that can really aggravate and perpetuate uh, anxiety and fatigue and chronic illness. It's really going back into the place, you know, of the body, of these places that hurt or, right, or, uh, or scare us, and, um, but connecting to a wholeness that's deeper within. So it yeah. becomes healing. And um, uh, so my Qigong practice was hugely important for that. And I learned through that that I can transform these feelings these, that are embedded in my body through this practice. I'm just doing the form. I'm just doing my practice. Um, the other piece that I end the book with was, uh, was going to a grief ritual. And it was, um, again, I mean, not something that I would have, I didn't even know that these things existed, right? But suddenly I found myself in a grief ritual, and it was, um, you know, there was uh, drumming, there was vibrations of the drum, like, going through the body. There was, um, yeah, a lot of um, imagery, too, that was evoking uh, a sense of loss, right? So beautiful candles and you know, framed photos of lost ones. And um, it, was, uh, it was incredibly powerful, incredibly powerful. And what I learned there was that, you know, usually I, we think of grief as uh, losing uh, a beloved, you know. And, but there are so many different kinds of grief. There's grief um, for our family and for our ancestors. There's grief for um, the parts of ourselves that never received love or that weren't allowed to come out, whether, you know, by our own, you know, mind or by others telling us. Um, there are, the, you know, there's the grief around not having received things that we expected. And so there's, there's these subtler threads of grief that just become embedded in our being. And we, because we're not taught to release, um, it just stays with us and it becomes an existential weight. Yeah. And, um, and the other, the other component, you know, that really guided the journey was the really, um, the beautiful flowering of your intuition. Um, and I'm looking at our time and I'm wondering, I have two more questions to ask you, but I'll just say that for those out there listening and we have, you know, the KKNW audience and, um, I'm sure the KPCA audience as well, very interested in the spiritual component around this. And, um, I just love how you have incorporated your intuitive abilities into your medical practice now. Mm, yeah. Um, and that really, I know we're coming down to our last minute. I'll just read this quote, you know, the book is called brave new medicine, and that is exactly what you are practicing. Um, and I'll just read this one quote. It struck me as ironic, humorous, actually, that I had trained in the halls of medicine for seven grueling years and after health challenges broke me down, had started anew, pouring through years of cutting edge science, only to return to the ancient ways of holistic thinking, intuition, mind-body integration, and ancestral diets, practices often deemed too time-consuming to be useful and not scientific enough to be valid, to say nothing of the common-sense measures of better sleep, body awareness, time in nature, detoxification, movement, nourishment, pleasure, and grief work. Um, all of this is covered in your book. I mean, there, there it is in a nutshell. Um, Dr. Lee, we've got less than a minute left. Is there yeah. any final message you want to leave with our audience? <laughs> oh, God. Um, Put you I, on the spot there. Say, yeah, no, the, you know, the, I think the hardest, uh, the hardest step in healing is also the simplest, is really believing that it's possible. Yes. Well, if you need some belief that it's possible, you will find it in this book, Brave New Medicine by Dr. Cynthia Lee. Uh, Dr. Lee, thank you for being here today on Sunny in so Seattle. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yes. And for those out there listening, thank you for joining us today. I'm your host, Sunny Joy, signing off.